We're going back into the Israel series after the Christmas holiday and why they as a nation are significant in the eyes of God. Over the first three episodes, we talked about Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob respectively and why they are significant. Today, we'll talk about the journey into and then out of the land of Egypt that will cover two significant individuals in the life of the nation. The first is Joseph, who led the people into Egypt. The second is Moses, who led them out of Egypt. This will be a broad overview covering a few key points in each of their lives, so let's buckle up as we go to the land of Egypt. Joseph is the first person to cover in the nation's journey into Egypt. In giving Abraham the promise of land to his descendants, God also gave a prophecy what would happen to them before they took possession of the land. In Genesis 15 verse 13, God told Abraham that his descendants would be sojourners in a land that was not theirs and would be afflicted for 400 years. Then God would bring them into the land of promise. Joseph is the catalyst for that prophecy to come to pass. Joseph is also one of the twelve sons of Jacob, who was then renamed Israel. These twelve brothers would become the progenitors of the twelve tribes of Israel. First, he had a dream as a young man that his brothers and father would serve him. Now, it's one thing to have a dream, but another thing to share it with those that already dislike you, because Jacob loved Joseph above all the other eleven brothers. See also Genesis 37 verse 3. Joseph was also 17 years old when he did this. More than likely, youth has always been a time of learning from the quote-unquote stupid things that we've done, and Joseph was no different, apparently. His eleven brothers decided to kill him, throw him in a pit, and tell his father that he was eaten by wild animals. Now, that's some severe sibling rivalry and an abject lesson why you should never favor one child over another as a parent. Instead, Reuben talked some degree of sense into them, and for them to just throw him in a pit and sell him off to a group of Ishmaelites that would eventually pass by. Reuben's thought was is that he could later rescue Joseph and could still find a way to get him back to his father, Israel. He was sold off to Ishmaelites by Midianites who found him before Reuben could rescue him, however. His brothers did stick with a he-was-eaten-by-wild-animals story. Joseph then found himself in service to a man named Potiphar, who purchased him from the Ishmaelites. Joseph was apparently a handsome young man, and Potiphar's wife tried to seduce him. Joseph refused to do something that wicked and escaped the wife by running away naked after she tried to seize him by his clothing slash garment. The wife then made up a story that Joseph tried to rape her and used the garment left behind as quote-unquote evidence. Potiphar caught up to Joseph and had him placed in prison. However, God was still with Joseph, and Joseph was such a person of character that he caught the attention of the keeper of the prison who put him in charge of the entire prison. Joseph was able to later interpret the dreams of a couple of other prisoners, Pharaoh. Nothing came of that particular incident, but it developed the reputation of Joseph that when Pharaoh had a disturbing dream, Joseph was able to interpret it. The dream was of an impending seven-year famine that would sweep through the entire region. However, God would allow for seven years of abundance before the famine to prepare, and then the famine would come. Pharaoh placed Joseph in charge of all of Egypt, being second in charge of the entire empire. Now fast forward to when the famine begins, and Joseph's brothers had heard about the abundance of Egypt amid the famine they were currently experiencing. Israel tells his son to go to Egypt to buy some grain. Joseph knows exactly who they are when they arrive, but they do not know him. He toys with them for a bit, but eventually reveals himself and convinces all of them to relocate to Egypt at the invitation of Pharaoh, who clearly favored Joseph. They all settled there and multiplied greatly in the land. 
The summary may be found in its entirety in Genesis chapters 37 through 50. It should be noted that Israel uttered a word of prophecy about the coming one who would crush the serpent's head in Genesis 3.15. Israel told his son Judah that the scepter would not depart from his house, which would become the obedience of the people. See also Genesis 49 verse 10. Then we really fast forward into the events of the book of Exodus. Joseph had already died and there was another Pharaoh who arose who did not know Joseph. He saw all the Hebrews in land and basically became afraid their number would make it impossible to control them. So he did what most men do who want to take control of a big group of people. He enslaved them and put them into hard labor. He further gave instructions to the Hebrew midwives to kill the sons and to keep a group of Hebrews from rising up against him. They disobeyed him, however, and the most infamous example of their disobedience was the birth of Moses. His mother placed him into a miniature ark and placed him on the Nile River. This led him into the hands of the daughter of Pharaoh, who raised Moses as her own son. However, it wasn't as if this was a mystery to Moses as he was growing up in the house of Pharaoh. His natural mother even came in to breastfeed him when he was a young baby. One day, after Moses had grown up, he saw an Egyptian beating a Hebrew and thus killed the Egyptian to protect his brother by heritage. The next day, Moses realized the murder had come to light and fled Egypt into the land of Midian. He met a man named Ruel, who was the priest of Midian, who gave Moses one of his daughters, Sipporah, to be his wife. The cry of the nation went up to God, however, and God revealed himself to Moses in Exodus chapter 3. It was the bush that was on fire but did not burn up. God also told Moses that his name is I Am That I Am. He was to tell the Egyptians that I Am had sent him which is where we get the name that is spelled Y-H-W-H and is pronounced Yahweh. Moses tried to chicken out of his callings, saying that he wasn't able to speak well. So God eventually relented and allowed Aaron, Moses' brother, to be the speaker for him. They went to Egypt, and after ten plagues are sent upon the land by the Lord, Pharaoh relents and finally lets Israel go. In Exodus 12, verse 40, we're told that the time the Hebrews spent in Egypt was 430 years in direct fulfillment of Genesis 15, verse 13. However, there is one final act that Pharaoh commits after letting Israel go. He had a change of heart and pursued the nation with all of his army. Israel had been backed up to the Red Sea with the army of Pharaoh before them. The angel of God in a pillar of fire that had been leading Israel came between them and the army of Egypt. God then parted the Red Sea and allowed Israel to pass through the waters unharmed and on dry land. As soon as they crossed, the angel then allowed the army to progress, and they followed the same path. But God allowed the waters to flood over the army, killing them, leaving the nation Israel completely free from their captors and onto the land of promise. This summary can be found in its entirety in Exodus chapters 1 through 14. God is who provided for Israel in their time of need and delivered them from their bondage. God is still doing that today. Jesus Christ is the promised one who came from the land and peoples of Israel, and he is the one who can deliver you from your bondage of sins today. How you do that? I'll detail in the next segment coming up in just a few seconds. At this point in the podcast, I want to reach out to you. And if you have never done so, if you have never entered into a saving relationship with God through the Lord Jesus Christ, I want to invite you to do that today. 
All you need to do is believe. Believe that Jesus is who he said he was. He was God in the flesh. Believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead. Confess him as Lord. And the Bible says that you will be saved if you do that. If you truly believe in your heart that he is who he said he was and that he did exactly what he said he would do for you, you will be saved. It is simply that easy. A lot of people say prayer, prayer. And that's great to confess and put your mind and heart and everything through a process, if you will, to embody what has already taken place in your heart. By simply praying, Lord Jesus, I believe that you died for my sins. I believe in my heart that God raised you from the dead. And now I confess you as Lord. Please take control of my life. And I want to follow you for the rest of my days. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen. That's all you need to do. And your life will change. Your life will change not so much materially, not so much in terms of the world, but your life will change in your standing before God in that you may know that you can have eternal life. The Apostle John wrote that when he was pinning 1 John. He said, I write these things to you that you may know that you have eternal life. Not that you can hope, not that you can wonder, but so that you can know. Ephesians chapter 2 verses 8 and 9 says, For it is by grace you have been saved through faith, and this not of yourselves. It is the gift of God, not by works, so that no one can boast. I want to thank you so much for listening to my podcast today. If you'd like to get in touch with me for any reason, I have the links for the social networks that I am connected on in my bio for this podcast. I'm also available at Gmail at DisciplePOV, that's D-I-S-C-I-P-L-E-P-O-V at gmail.com. If you have anything that you would like to convey to me, such as something you agree with, something you don't, or anything else, or if you did receive the Lord Jesus Christ into your life, I'd love to hear from you today and to assist you on your new eternal journey.